back to the 4ER Podcast, brought to you by Chapel Street Church. My name is Joe Scavato, and today we are back in Colossians chapter 2 and the fullness of God. Today I'm joined by Jeff Frazier. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Joe. And joining us today, for the first time... <laughs> Blake Glosson. Hi, Blake. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Is that your, your podcast voice, Blake? It's good. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Well, welcome to the podcast, Blake. Happy to have you. Uh, for those listening that don't know, Blake is our new pastoral resident. That's right. The first resident since I was a resident. Yes. He has small shoes to fill. And <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast, Blake. Thank you. Uh, we all were preaching this weekend as we continue in our Colossians series. I want to talk about all sorts of things, but before we do, I have a programming note. Ooh. I have a sad programming note. Oh, uh, this wait, wait, is sad. This should be oh. sound. I have a sad programming note. <laughs> What's good, this, the podcast will be twice as long now with all the sound effects. Half sound effects. <laughs> Unfortunately, dear listeners, we're taking next week off. Oh, the sad music ended. Oh. <laughs> we're taking next week off of the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks, but I just want to let people know that they need to plan their listening uh, week otherwise next week. But we'll and be back in two weeks. Good. And, and the reason we're taking next week off is because that almost all of us will be away on a leadership retreat. So yes, you can yeah, we're not us. just slacking off. Yes, that might right. be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. All right. Let's jump into today. As I mentioned, we're all preaching. Jeff, do you want to kick us off and remind us of what we we're talking about or yep. at least what you were talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully we're all saying something similar. Yeah, right. So we are continuing our series, uh, as you mentioned, Colossians, the fullness of God. And we're in the passage uh, that was verses 6 through 15 of chapter 2. Uh, there's a lot in there. But verses 6 and 7 are kind of a transition, a hinge on which the letter turns where Paul says, therefore, since everything that's come before, that's who Christ is. He, he commands, we're, we're told, walk in him, rooted and built up. And, uh, and, and, and having received Christ as Lord, rooted and built up in him in the way that we're taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he goes on and he talks about that, uh, that, that this is the crucial way in which we avoid being taken captive by empty philosophy and human tradition and so on. And then there's the great line in verses, eight, uh, verses 9 and 10, for all the fullness of God dwells in him. And we are to be filled up in him, which is the, that's the theme of our whole series. Mm -hmm. Everything you need for a full life is in Christ and we are to be filled up in him. Then there's this incredible, uh, verses nine through 15, this kind of reprisal of our memory passage, verses 15 through 20, which is who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Verses nine through 15 of chapter two are what does that, what has he done for us? Mm -hmm. It's a, a description of the gospel and it's soaring. And I think each of us in our preaching team thought, how are we possibly going to get all of this into one sermon? Yeah. We say that frequently, but particularly this, this week. And so one of our yeah. uh, fellow staff members has accused us of nerding out too much about this book. Yeah. So it's the well, ultimate preacher nerd book. Which staff member? Say them out I, loud. I, for protection's sake, I will not be naming this person. Yeah, well, if you're going to nerd out about something, with apologies to Andrew and the Mandalorian, I'd say Colossians is a pretty good thing to nerd out about. It's a pretty good one. So anyway, uh, Paul talks about that we we have been liberated, our, 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 our sins forgiven, nailed to the cross. Um, so we've been set free from that. Uh, and then he goes on and talks just in, in incredible ways about 
what that means for us, that we have, that Jesus not only has forgiven our sin, nailing our sins to the cross, but he's triumphed over all the powers of sin and darkness in us and in the world. Yeah. And there's a lot we'll get to, but it's just an incredible passage of confidence for what who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Yeah, that's good. Blake, anything to add to that? Anything that Jeff said incorrectly? <laughs> yeah, no, yes, I'm, I'm yes. definitely proud of Jeff's development. I, I think <laughs> Thanks, he's coming Blake. along. So. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, that was a great, uh, a great summary and uh, eager to dive into some of the specifics of it, but that, I thought that was good. Yeah. So wh- why don't we start with this? Blake, you mentioned this in your sermon. I heard both of you, by the way. Um, and, and you heard yourself. And our, <laughs> some, Someone heard me, at least. Right. Um, one thing that you, you uh, said really well, I thought, was... was kind of bring a focus to all of the language of in him, of in Christ, of with him, of with Christ, and mm-hmm. just how often that that comes up in this passage. You said, I think it's eight times, right? Yep, eight times. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so maybe start with that. Help us understand maybe why Paul did that and, and what that yeah. says yeah. about us, given what you said, Jeff, of mm-hmm. kind of that hinge verse of because you've received Christ, this is who you are. So help us understand that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So those phrases in him or with him or in Christ or with Christ, those phrases are used over a hundred times in the new Testament. Some people have counted over 200 times in the new Testament. And every time you see those phrases in him, you are in him, you are with him, you are in Christ or with Christ. It's a reference to the wonderful doctrine of union with Christ. And I talked about how union with Christ is the assurance of two glorious blessings. Mm. Uh, the one blessing is that uh, what do you get through union with Christ? You get Christ himself. So you get mm. the most beautiful, most glorious, most trustworthy, most praiseworthy, most safe, most loving person in the universe. He's yours now. He's yours for the rest of your life, he's yours for all eternity. And so you get union with Christ, which I think is, I was even thinking about it this morning, just a, a wonderful blessing. Like each day you wake up, you have someone <laughs> with you who knows you mm-hmm. and loves you and you can go about your day with. And so yeah. you get Christ. That's one of the benefits of union with Christ. And then the second benefit of union with Christ is that you get all of the benefits of Christ's redemption. And that would take us a literal eternity to to talk through all of the benefits of Christ's redemption, but I believe this passage shows three of those benefits, uh, which we'll probably talk about a little bit today, mm-hmm. but that Christ brings us from emptiness to fullness, from death to life, and from guilt to grace, and so that's what I focused on some in my sermon, but all of that is an, a, uh, an extension of union with Christ, which mm-hmm. we see in those little terms, in him, with him, in Christ, with Christ. Uh, yeah, uh, Blake actually laid that uh, outline out for us a few weeks ago on a preaching team, and I thought it was really well said, and so I used something very, very similar uh, in the sermon. So thanks, Blake. Um, Shout and, out to Blake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah there's, even the phrase, walk in him, there are places where Paul, as Blake mentioned, says with Christ, which um, is similar to in Christ. But the Paul frequently uses the phrase in Christ or in him. And that I think that's a, there's a distinction there because when he says he doesn't say walk with him or mm-hmm. like try to keep up with him, mm-hmm. uh, it says walk in him because yeah. he's in you. We just learned two weeks ago that Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, and so that we are in him. That's the, that's the this incredible union we have. Um, anyway, I think that the command to walk in him could be misunderstood to think, well, I have to measure up, keep up, match my strides to Jesus in my mm-hmm. own strength. No, it it's, means he, he resides in you. All as, as Blake just said, he's in you. And so because you've already received him as Lord and he's rooted you and has established you, so walk accordingly. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I, I want to talk more about that that idea. I think um, 
as you said, it's it's kind of a hinge verse. I know a couple commentaries that that I read when I was studying described it as like the summary verse of this entire letter mm. of, of just that idea of yeah, because you've received Christ, walk in Him. Right. Um, and so maybe help us kind of uh, unpack that a little bit further. The the way I I described it when I was was preaching this was uh, bringing people back to Jesus' ministry, uh, and when He called them, He called them to to literally walk with them. They would walk around and, <laughs> and that was the way in which they were discipled was yeah. not just by, he didn't say agree with me. He didn't say mm-hmm. even believe in me. He said, follow me and, and they well, would he, walk. He did say, believe in me. That's true. But, <laughs> but the initial call was, was to yeah, follow. Right. Um, and so maybe kind of, uh, help us kind of, uh, understand further that, that picture of, of walking in Christ. Yeah, um, I use the analogy of uh, when I was a little kid, my on the beach and, and on vacation, trying to match my dad and my grandpa's footsteps. You know, hmm. when I was like eight years old, and I was mm-hmm. the strides were too long, so I'm trying to leap from footprint to footprint <laughs> before the waves would wash them away, <laughs> which is a fun fun memory. But I think we can make the mistake of thinking that walking in Christ means that I, I have to somehow, in my strength, measure up to His standard. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and he does say, follow him, but we're following him, not in our strength. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's a, a, a misunderstanding. And I think you see this, maybe a good example is the life of Peter, hmm. who is trying to measure up in his strength to be like you. He says, even if everybody else falls away, I will not, hmm. I'll be the faithful one. I will always follow. And he denies him three times. Then in his restoration moment in John 21, Jesus is restoring him and he's not making bold promises anymore. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you best I can. I love you. And so I think our our walking in him is recognizing that he already dwells in us. So um, the life we're living, as Paul says in, in Galatians, uh, is not ours. It's his. So it's not my life trying to measure up to his life. It's his life in me mm-hmm. is the better way of understanding what walking means. Mm-hmm. How would you put it, Blake? Yeah, I think that's really good. He uses those three terms, walk in him, yeah. being rooted in him, being built up in him. Uh which are, I think the first one is relational, uh, walking in right, him. Right. The second one, uh, being rooted in him is agricultural. Mm-hmm. And the third one is something like structural or yeah. architectural. Yeah. Um, and each of them have a different connotation to it. But I think the walk in him one is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not only that we are a house that he's building up or we are a, mm-hmm. a tree that he's nourishing, which are beautiful images, but yeah. he wants us to walk in him. Like it's yeah. a, it's a term of intimacy and, yeah. and love and yeah. knowledge and step, step by step. So that's yeah, good. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really, really beautiful. And, and, and um, we, I said this in the sermon, and it's easy to miss that rooted and built up are things that have been done for us and are being done, have been done for us and is being done in us. So we have been rooted. We are being built up. Mm-hmm. The commands for us are to walk and be thankful. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has rooted us. Jesus is building us up. You don't build yourself up in Christ. Mm-hmm. You don't You don't root yourself. Like a when I transplant uh, one of my wife's hosta plants from one part of the yard to another, I do that. The, the hosta doesn't do it to itself. Weeds seem to transplant themselves, but not <laughs> good plants. Anyway, um, I have to dig it up and plant it somewhere else. That's that image Blake mentioned, death to life, you know, mm-hmm. being being rooted somewhere else in Christ. He's done that, and he is building us up. Therefore, mm-hmm. we can walk in him yeah. um, and, and be thankful. Yeah, that's good. There's a, a part of this that I think uh, we're going to explore even further this upcoming week. I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah. but Paul gives a, a warning as well to to not be taken captive uh, oh, yeah. against what he describes as a whole list of. Do you have a sound not, for warning? Uh, let's see. Hang on. 
good. Look out! So if our listeners can see us, Joe has this control panel next to him on a little stool with these buttons that uh, that our sound engineer Brett Davis created, which I I envy. And it's the very best part of my week. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Anyways, the, Paul's warning against what he calls uh, philosophy, against deceit, against uh, human traditions. He has all this this list that he goes down, um, and his contrast is don't don't fall for it. Mm-hmm. Be filled with Christ. Yeah, put that into our world today. Uh, what philosophies, mm-hmm. traditions? Uh, last week we looked at plausible arguments or fine sounding arguments. I mm-hmm. think he said, mm-hmm. uh, "Where do we see that showing up?" And and mm-hmm. then maybe even more importantly. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we guard ourselves against those things that might sound so good to to our ears? Mm-hmm. I used uh, Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God, yeah. for this point. Uh, he, in I think it's chapter four on satisfaction. This is just an absolutely wonderful book and wonderful chapter. He describes uh, three primary ways that people try to deal with their emptiness inside. Uh, the first way he, he calls the way of the young. Yeah. And these are people who say, um, who, who are relatively content with their discontentment and emptiness inside because they believe that the only reason why they feel discontent and empty is because they don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. So it could be a job, a house, money, a spouse, success, whatever it is. They yeah. say, of course I feel empty. Of course I feel discontent. Still chasing. The yeah. only reason why is because I don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Keller says the worst day of these people lives or when they do get everything they ever wanted and they look inside their heart and they see that emptiness Mm -hmm. is still there. Uh, Jim Carrey, uh, I quoted in the sermon too. He, he (laughs) said, philosopher. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember the word celebrity. So I said, Jim Carrey, the famous actor and person said, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the guy, (laughs) you know, Jim. Right. Um, so he, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. Uh, So that's the first group of people, the young. The second group of people are the mature or the enlightened, Keller says. And these are the people who said, who say, you know, I've lived my life long enough to realize that it is not out there. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy my my emptiness. And uh, so they, instead of trying to satisfy their emptiness, they try to either suppress that feeling or distract themselves from it. Um, And then Keller points to the third group of people, which are Christians who say, um, my emptiness, it is there. It can be filled and it will be filled, but it can only be filled through Christ. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what this this part verses eight and eight through ten is getting at is that yeah. these worldly philosophies, human traditions, they're they're empty, um, but there's fullness that can be found in Christ alone. Yeah, um, that's really well said. And uh, I love that you had from Tim Keller to Jim Carrey in the same uh, explanation. It's <laughs> quite a <laughs> Two range. great theologians. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think, uh, yeah, um, I love the way Blake put that. Um, Paul says the the empty deceit and contrast that with the fullness of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important, like, that doesn't mean that every human tradition or every philosophy of man is by definition evil. They're not. All truth belongs to God. And so there, there are times when we would look out at the world and see philosophies and ideas and, and approaches to life that reflect gospel truth, and we should celebrate that. Yeah. What it does mean, though, is that the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And so he's the standard by which we measure every other truth claim. Mm. He's the plumb line by which we discern uh, which of these approaches to life are healthy and helpful. And maybe the best way for, to put it simply is whatever you're talking about, a a philosophy, uh, an approach to life, um, you know, uh, whatever it is, you should be asking the question, does this concept, idea or philosophy 
help point me closer to Christ or further away? Yes. Does it put Jesus more at the center of things or less? That's good. If it puts me at the center or some other human teacher at the center or some idea, then I think it's we, we should say we would reject it or say this is not helpful. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't. I think sometimes Christians can make the mistake of thinking that well, this means any idea that comes from anything other than directly from a passage of scripture is evil. Yeah. Not necessarily. Yeah. That's a good distinction. Because every truth belongs to God. Yeah. But Christ is the measure by which we discern. Hmm. Yeah. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I love how, uh, and obviously this is, was Paul's intent of this coming directly after this saying, walk in him, you're rooted in him, you're built up in him. Just this connection, the unity that you mentioned, Blake, yeah. how if you don't have that, you you won't have that discernment. Um, mm, that's good. I, I was listening to our friend that's John right. Dixon's podcast yesterday, oh. uh, the second best podcast in the world. That's right. Undeceptions is the name of it, by uh-huh. the way. Um, Do you, need a pro- you need a bell, like a product placement bell. Undeceptions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you, Joe. <laughs> you need you need this board. You're better at it than I am. Um, and they were they were talking about that idea of of how uh, just a lack of discernment has cost uh, the church and impacted the church in different mm-hmm. ways. And and mm-hmm. I think this is kind of what he's saying is that this is. You, you will be taken captive if, mm-hmm. if you don't develop that. And, and that only comes when you're connected with Christ. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's one other thing that I was, I was thinking about as I was preparing my sermon and then delivering my sermon that I just didn't have time to, to fit in the sermon. This and that's what, what this podcast, podcast is all about, right? That's right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was thinking about like we as Christians, we still feel emptiness though, don't we at yeah. times? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I, like, I don't want the message to be as soon as you become a Christian, you never feel empty anymore. Um, but there was a, there's a quote by my friend, uh, Andrew Micah that he, he told me like five years ago that has stuck with me where he said, um, that biblically contentment is not the absence of longing. It is trusting God in the midst of our longings and setting them in the context of his larger story. And so I think there's there's something about when we feel that emptiness, when we feel that discontentment, it's bringing those longings to Christ and remembering his his promises. That's what brings fullness. It's not that we just we never feel empty or never feel uh, any measure of, of discontentment. And I think the uh, I, I quoted the song "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus" is is helpful here too. Um, in in the chorus, it Would says, "Would you like to sing that now or no?" Uh, yes. Uh, well, I'll have uh, I'll have Jeff do that first. <laughs> um, Go ahead. Turn your eyes. Upon Jesus. And the funny thing is like Look that right here, this is a glimpse into our pastoral face. offices. Jeff is just singing in the background and, the <laughs> and we're just going about our days like this is just completely normal. We're fine. In the light of his glory <laughs> and grace. <laughs> okay, sorry. But there it is. Notice what Jeff just sang there is it says, turn yeah. your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face yeah. in the things of earth worldly philosophies, yeah. human traditions, those will look strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. This is what Paul is trying to do throughout the book of Colossians is he's not saying, oh, stop, stop looking at those empty philosophies and stuff like, mm-hmm. and focusing on those things. He says, turn your eyes on Jesus. Let's look at Jesus and his fullness. Yeah. And that's what's going to bring true salvation, true contentment, true fullness is looking at Christ, mm-hmm. not necessarily just trying to avoid all the the bad things in the world or something. Yeah. That's really good. Well said, Blake. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to make sure that we give enough time to the last couple of verses in this, uh, this section. I'll stop singing. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what I said. I want you to keep singing. Um, but as you guys mentioned, and I did a little bit as well, there's just so much, uh, context in what Paul says at the end of the last few verses and specifically a couple ideas of Jesus canceling debt, Mm-hmm. Um, of of nailing it to the cross, mm-hmm. of triumphing 
over uh, these other rulers and authorities and, and us kind of being victorious in him. So, so let's start with that. Give us what he's saying uh, and, and put it into context for us so that we can understand why it matters and what it means for us. Yeah, uh, those last f- verses 14 and 15, I think, are worth uh, meditating on, memorizing. Um, we already have a memory passage, but they're worth <laughs> Here's another. Uh, spending some time on because they're just really incredible. Um, Paul says he, that he's forgiven us our trespasses, um, and he does by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. The Greek word for uh, record of debt is it, it literally kaitographon. It, it literally means a handwritten legal document that puts you in the red against God. Mm. So there's a there's a record of debt of sin every one of us owes, and it's real, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it stands against us. And Jesus has canceled it. The, the word canceled uh, is the is literally means to wipe away. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Blake uh, types his sermons uh, in uh, on like most modern people do. Uh, I write mine by hand with pen and ink. Such a millennial. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, 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 most people do on our staff. Anyway, the point I'm bringing up is that in ancient world, paper was um, either papyrus, which is reed, or vellum, which is uh, anim- animal skin, and uh, they didn't. And, the, and ink was a natural dye. It wasn't acidic. It didn't etch the paper. It just sat on top of it, would dry, but it could be wiped off when it was made wet again. That's why the scrolls were so carefully cared for. So, you know, anyway, the point is that the image he's saying is Jesus has wiped, like to blot out or to wipe. You've heard the phrase, wipe the slate clean. Mm-hmm. This is the Greek word that literally means he takes our record and wipes it clean. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, he does this by nailing it to the cross. Uh, there's another image that, that, that there, which is just incredible. Um, but it's, uh, you know, if you, if you, um, you have, you, you are, uh, I said, you are alive and debt free in Christ. Mm-hmm. If you woke up tomorrow morning and found out all your debts are paid. No mortgage, no school debt, no credit card debt. Mm. Everything's you don't know a, you don't know a dime, and someone's put a million dollars in your account. That feels like almost too good to be. How could that even? That could never happen. But that's nothing compared to what Jesus has done for us. Mm. What we have in Him, mm-hmm. and we you know we we get all excited about that idea of, of being debt free financially when we are in the way that matters most in yeah. Christ. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. The the image I gave was kind of like an, an invoice or a receipt or yeah. maybe not a receipt, but, but some sort of like, this is owed. And, and for every one of us, the words guilt and shame were written down. Mm. Mm. Um, and that is the thing that was nailed to the cross. Mm. Yeah. Like give us, a, you, you mentioned this in your sermon of, of kind of what that was, uh, the context of that, of nailing things to the cross and what that meant in that time. Yeah. So for, uh, in first century Roman culture, the, the crimes of the crucified criminal would be nailed to the cross above his or her head. And so it might say murder or theft or sedition or treason so that people walking by would be like, Oh, can't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but according to this verse, the crimes that were nailed to the cross of Christ were my crimes, my sins, your sins, our sins were nailed to the cross of Christ. And I talked about in the sermon how powerful this this message is because it combats two very prevalent false teachings in our world today. Uh, one of those false teachings about sin is that our sins have been nailed to our identity. And so uh, this is often the message of an abusive authority figure who would say, you are a failure, you mm. are a screw up, you are a liar yeah. at your core, you are your sin. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Your sins have been nailed to your identity. Yeah. And then the other false teaching is on on the far other end of the 
the spectrum, and that is that your sins have been nailed to nothing. Your sins don't need to be nailed to anything because your sins aren't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Your sins don't need judgment. That's an antiquated idea. Of course, when these these people, you'll sometimes you'll hear someone saying like, "Oh, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about your sin." Yeah. And I talked about Joe. You mentioned the the guilt and shame. When we are overcome with guilt and shame over a sin, we desperately need a greater hope than "Don't worry about it." Yeah. And so the the great uh, message of, of mm. Colossians two thirteen through 15 is that it combats both of these false teachings, neither the teaching that your sin has been nailed to your identity, nor the teaching that your sin has been nailed to nothing can lead to true hope and life. Mm. But the, the teaching that your sin has been taken care of on the cross in full, all of your sins have been paid for, uh, at, at the cross of Christ. That is the only teaching that can lead to true hope. That's and true really joy. good. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, then finally, the, the triumph, yeah. triumphing over them. That was a, a Roman tradition, right? Yeah. The, that... the, the, it's a single Greek word, triumphing over them, is the, the triumbiuo. Uh, yes. which, uh, so like, if a Roman general had won a big victory, the Senate could confer on that general a triumph. Uh, that meant uh, a multi-day celebration. Think of a victory parade. Um, it's a, it was a big deal. Um, and so uh, the example I used is in, in 81 AD, uh, the Ark of Titus was, the Arch of Titus was uh, built. It's a massive victory arch in, in, in Rome. Titus and Vespasian, two Roman generals, conquered uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, in 71 AD, they had the triumph in Rome, meaning the big parade. And the parade consisted of the slaves being marched in, the, um, they had, they would have, Painters of Rome paint pictures of the conquered land, hmm. and they pray in, on big canvases, and they prayed those in. Then there would come wagons full of the weapons of the enemy, uh, like we these not belong to us. These weapons can't harm us; they're ours now. Hmm. Then there there would come wagons full of like the symbols of that of that city or that country or that uh, power. So on the on the uh, Arch of Titus are carved the menorah, the seven candle lampstand of of the Jews was being brought into Rome because we own it now. Wow. Um, anyway, the whole point was it, and then last of all would come the the uh, the general himself. But the whole thing was meant to symbolize Rome has conquered these. This enemy holds no fear for you, holds no power over you. Rome is supreme. Paul's clearly subverting that concept with Jesus, saying Christ, not through military power, but by self-sacrificing death, has done that for your guilt, your shame, your sin. Mm. And the powers of sin have, have hold no fear for you. The power of the evil one, he's put our shame to shame. You know, <laughs> he, He's triumphed over them, paraded them through the streets, and now we don't have to fear. Mm. Um, not only what our past, so we, we, sing this, we sang the song in Christ alone. There's that phrase, in, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Mm. That's what he's saying. No guilt in life, he's triumphed over it. Mm. No fear in death. The future doesn't hold any fear for me because he's triumphed over it. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's an incredible, like a, this is why Paul's amazing. A single phrase, you know, holds mm-hmm. so much power yes. and, and meaning for us. Yes. So, mm-hmm. And this is why it's hard to preach it all uh-huh. in 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to maybe close with this. Um, as you said, there's way more, you know, that we could talk about, but but maybe it would be helpful just for those listening that, that hear all of this, that hear that, that my guilt has been taken, my shame has been taken, my mm-hmm. fear, I don't have to live that way. Uh, and maybe there's some that don't don't feel like they can or don't yeah, feel like they should yeah. or don't feel like they're worthy. Right. Uh, how would you mm. uh, counsel someone in that place today? 
Yeah, that's a great, great question. Uh, First John tells us that um, even when our hearts condemn us, mm. he is greater than our hearts. So as Blake mentioned, Christians sometimes feel longing. Sometimes Christians feel condemnation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not from Christ. Romans 8, chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I think the first thing I'd say is your sense, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're in Christ, as Blake was outlining, um, and you belong to him, doesn't mean you get it all right or you're always perfect, but it means you belong to him. Mm. You have been rooted, you are being built up, and that means that when you feel those things, we can remind ourselves, what I feel right now is a, is a real feeling, but it isn't the truth about me. It isn't objectively true about me. Mm-hmm. And I bring my mind back to what's objectively true about me so that my heart will follow. Mm, that's, good. that's really good. Anything out of that, Blake? Well, just riffing on what he just said, that, yeah, that verse, First uh, John 3.20, yeah. uh, to, to finish that verse, it, it says, even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And then four yeah. or five amazing words. The end of that verse is, um, even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he, he knows, knows everything. everything. That's right. So sometimes, yeah. like, we might go up to someone and say, man, I'm feeling so shameful. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You, you know, you're fine. And you might respond to them and say, but you don't know what I've done. Like, the, like mm-hmm. that's the reason why I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And you might not feel like I'm, I'm guilty, but I am. You don't know what I've done. Well, this verse is saying God knows everything, and he still doesn't condemn yes, you right. according to Romans 8. 1, right. so. That is really good. That is good. All right. Uh, Jeff, can you give us a sneak peek of this week in Colossians? Well, it's Mother's Day coming up, so that's an exciting mm-hmm. time of, of, to celebrate all the moms in church, but also in Col- the series in Colossians. Uh, we finished chapter two, and, and it's uh, it's we've been hinting at this all along. There is a, clearly someone or some people in the church in Colossian, Colossae that are uh, bringing in false teaching, adding things to the gospel. And we see this when let no one deceive you with plausible arguments. Let no one take you captive by empty deceit. And then we'll see two more phrases uh, about things that th- this person, this influencer is uh, bringing in. And so we're going to dig into what that is in the first century. And we're also going to try to apply that. Well, what what infiltrates us in the 21st century? And there's this great line in that last passage where these things are shadows, uh, but not the substance which belongs to Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once again... Spoiler alert, we're going to focus on Jesus. Let's go. <laughs> Give us a, like a hallelujah. What else is new? Focusing on Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to teach a class on how to use the sound effects I know, you'd be so much better at this. All right, let's do Joe Wants to Know. All right. Oh, what you know, Joe? I don't know nothing. What you know, Joe? Tell me something. What you know, Joe? Uh, this week on Joe Wants to Know, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Uh, Blake, as our new uh, pastoral resident, new staff member, uh, people I'm sure want to get to know you a little bit. I'm sure you have you met a whole bunch of people in the last few months. Uh, and this is going to be the ultimate get to know Blake uh, <laughs> special. So if anyone says, hey, tell me about yourself, just send them to this podcast. Listen to the right? last two minutes of the podcast. Tell them to subscribe <laughs> and make sure they download it. Yeah. I just got to warn you, it's probably going to be the most listened to podcast if you if you say that. So, not, yeah, I'm not trying to. Yeah. Yeah. First thing to know about Blake, he's very humble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so what we're going to do, I have selected some of my favorite Joe Wants to Know questions from the last 101 episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to get to know who you are at your core level. Level by asking some of the weirdest <laughs> questions you've ever right. asked. Let's do it. Number one, Blake. If they made a movie about your life, what actor would you want to have play you? So this one's a slam dunk. Uh, probably Ryan Reynolds. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. So number one, because I've had many people come up to me and tell me you look like Ryan Reynolds, which you've I'm also like, had a lot of people say that you look like me. That's true. So <laughs> yeah. So maybe either Ryan Reynolds or Joe Scavato. Yeah. 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 We get confused a lot. Uh huh. Uh, I also really liked the movie Free Guy. I don't know if you guys saw it, starring Ryan Reynolds. I did not. It has no. a few wonderful redemptive themes in it. No. So just to kind of spin it back toward okay, faith. Free Guy. Yeah, Free Guy. I think it came out like two yeah. two years ago sure. or three years do ago. You, so. Do you see the the connection, Jeff, between Ryan Ryan Reynolds and Blake? Do you see it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not entirely sure who Ryan Reynolds is. <laughs> I'm okay. sure, but I think I do. I think I. I think I know who that actor. Is. So I don't know like any actors or actresses. Uh, but you, you know, so Jim many Carrey. people have said, yeah. "Yeah, that's true. That's true." Jim Carrey. So many people have said, "You look like Ryan sure Reynolds." That it forced me to know who he is. So. Okay. Number two, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> the obvious answer to this question is no. So if you think about, Whoa. okay, go on. Uh, okay, let me. I'll, I'll just open this up to you guys. How many pieces of bread does a hot dog have on it? Let me just cue up my boo sound, but keep going. Okay, okay. For for your stance on this, you're gonna boo. <laughs> I, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a hot dog has one slice of bread. Think about. I'll give maybe two or three examples in life. Well, sometimes the bun, the little hinge comes apart. Then it's two. oftentimes, yeah. Oh, okay. So if you turn a hot dog into something that's not a hot dog, then all of a sudden it's a sandwich. It's not a hot dog anymore. If I mean, if you break it apart, we're, Are you, wait, wait, hold on. Okay, so, so, so now, bun, now you're changing the question. No, I'm not. If the bun, as you put it on the, you fold it on the hot dog, comes apart and uh-huh. it becomes two pieces, it ceases to be a hot dog. <laughs> I'm just saying uh-huh. that you're, you're changing Crickets. the question. Of, of course, of course, we could have ifs. Yes, if you if you were to add also that two slices about 50% of bread of the around the hot dog. No, I'm saying the bun, not a hot, not bread. The uh-huh. bun, as you put your hot dog in there and put it on, it, uh-huh. the, the the bun, that little because it's a thinner part there that is supposed to fold onto your hot dog, right? Uh huh. That it it become it breaks open and becomes two pieces. Yeah. Okay. You saying that ceases to be a hot dog? Well, if like, I it, if I snapped you in half, would you cease to be Jeff? <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> okay, no, but here, here's what I I'm wouldn't. getting at: is think about theologians what? talk about a Markian sandwich. I'm lost. A Markian sandwich. You've heard of this? We yes. don't have time to go into this much depth. We have three okay. more questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But he would say he would say no, and I actually agree. Uh-huh. I think hot dogs and hamburgers are their own thing, uh-huh. own categories. Sandwiches are different. So you're on my side the whole time. Yeah, I was <laughs> okay. I just didn't like your reasoning. Okay, you're, you're both fair. wrong. I a hot to dog is in. a sandwich. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three. It's two of us against Joe. <laughs> Blake, what yeah. is the greatest smell? Um, <laughs> coffee. Ooh, it's up there. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, before I liked the the taste of coffee, I loved the smell of coffee. Yeah. I would walk yeah. up and down coffee aisles just because yeah. I enjoyed the smell. Yep. Uh, I would also <laughs> accept uh, freshly mowed grass mm-hmm. or uh, baseball mitt or Ooh, leather uh, with smoke, fresh baked bread, but mm. I'll take yours. That's a yeah. good one. Okay. If you could have any animal as a pet, mm-hmm. which would you choose? So I'm going to go with the one that's not greasy, not smelly, not loud, not hard to take care of. Uh, this is in-depth The one thinking. that I think most of us would say, and that, that would be a cat. Oh. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, man. You just disappointed both of us they so much. They poop in a box in the house. <laughs> it's better than pooping in the house. <laughs> it's in the house. The litter box is in the house. I have nothing uh-huh. to say to this. <laughs> yes. Here's the last question. Could you, Blake, mm-hmm. defeat a coyote in battle? 
Mm. I you sent this question yesterday, and I thought about it, and like I believe the answer is yes. Like I mm-hmm. wouldn't let a coyote kill me. I wouldn't just die. Uh, like I would, I would find a way to kill it. But I was thinking through. Okay, so like you have alligators, you need to bop them on the nose. You have sharks, you need to poke them in the eyes. What do you do to a coyote to beat it? And I was wondering, is it like, what do you do? Pull its ears or something? You know who you need to ask this is our wonderful colleague, Andrew, who believes that he could also win. And uh-huh. we do you're not spo- believe you're him. You're supposed huh? to poke a shark in the eyes. I never heard that before. <laughs> I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> I just I think you don't have many options. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like the three stooges. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think Blake, no question, could beat a coyote. Probably two coyotes, yeah. Blake, do you think Andrew would win? <laughs> you're going on the record here. Okay, um, I do. I'm going to die okay. on this hill with Andrew, but not literally, of course. All right? <laughs> you are, you are now ma- known. You just made his day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Now that we know Blake really well. Now that we know Blake. <laughs> thank you, guys. It's been uh-huh. a pleasure, as always. And thanks for listening to the Ferreira Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and share this with a friend. If it has helped you in your faith journey, we will talk to you soon. Thank you.